Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I have a guest joining us. We're very excited about this guest. This will not be his first appearance on our show. I feel like it will be his 70th. Most shows, Gail makes reference to her favorite book in recent, in the last decade. And it is Kitchens of the Great Midwest by J. Ryan Straddle. And today we have him on the show. It's great to be here. Thank you. That's wild to hear. I'm a little embarrassed over here. You see this? I I was about to say, do you hear the bashful silence from Gail? (laughs) (laughs) I, I warned you about this, I think, that I was a bit of a fan. So over the summer, Gail told us the story of how she went up to, um, I guess she went up to you at BEA and she said she scared you a little bit by telling you how she's your biggest fan and how she has a podcast that she mentions you on all the time. I think sometime last year, I might have banned Gail from mentioning your book. She was going to mention it. She tries to mention it in each category of show that we come up with. And I was like, oh, Gail, you cannot, you cannot use that book. <laughs> Nonfiction political memoirs. Let me tell you about Kitchens of the Great right. Midwest. <laughs> Kitchens of the Great Midwest. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I, I think was... I drew the line at, at African-American History Month. Yeah. <laughs> I was very lucky to have the chance to meet Jay Ryan when he was in town in July. He came and did a great reading here in D.C. And then he was very kind and nice to let me take him out afterwards for a drink. And I think hopefully I demonstrated to you that I'm not insane or scary. When you when you when you ask for a ride to your hotel afterwards, I thought, well, that's a good sign that he's willing to get in my car. He doesn't think I'm completely <laughs> off my rocker. We're going to be talking about childhood influences. We will talk a little bit about, I guess, Jay Ryan will tell us what influenced him. And, and we will tell you all about the books that influenced us as readers. This will be this will be a good good time. Yes. And we will ask Jay Ryan the questions we ask of all of the guests who come on the show. So that's coming up too. And I also just finished um, Things You Save in a Fire by Catherine Center, which uh, is very much squarely in the camp of other Catherine Center books, which are highly readable, um, not fluffy because there's usually sad and important things happening in them, but they, you know, sort of fit into that kind of, I wouldn't say chiclet, but they're they're very pleasurable women's fiction. And it was narrated by the sublime Therese Plummer, who I thought did a fantastic job with the audio. So if you like Catherine Center, you read some of her other books, I would recommend that this Things You Save in a Fire has really taken off this summer, this fall, I guess now. And uh, it was it did not disappoint. And it was a, it was a quick and fulfilling read. Where would you rank that in the Catherine Center canon? Oh, that's um, I don't think that I have read enough. Let's see. Um, I think it, 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 it was pretty close to How to Walk Away, which is the other one I've read in recent memory. Some of her other books I read a, a long time ago, and I wouldn't remember exactly where to rank them. But I would say I would say I liked it almost as much as How to Walk Away. They're, they're pretty close. There's okay. even like a crossover character. It's kind of fun. I think they're really comparable. They're both good. Okay, so, so Jay Ryan, do you want to join us? Do you, would, 
Are you reading anything right now? Yeah. I'm reading The Cactus League by Emily Nemens. It comes out next February on FSG. Uh, she's the editor of the Paris Review, and it's a baseball novel. Uh, yeah, I love it. It's Yeah, I'm about 100 pages in so far. Uh, her editor, Emily Bell, asked me to blurb it, and I'm happy to. It's uh, it's right up my alley. <laughs> I love What's it when... It about? Uh, uh, it's about a... It's, it mostly centers around, well, without giving too much away, it mostly centers around a famous a fictional contemporary baseball player that sort of is modeled on Mike Trout or somebody like that, or Bryce Harper, you know, someone who's, you know, been established, won a couple of MVP awards or been in the running, is approaching kind of a crossroads in his career where his marriage is falling apart, and he's coming to spring training during this pivotal year. And it's told from the point of view of a sports writer the guy's uh, minor league batting coach and the guy himself and perhaps a few other characters. There's a baseball groupie whose chapter I'm reading right now. Who's great. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun and a really insightful, obviously like passionately researched baseball book. I have to get my hands on this huge baseball fan. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. We, I know we talked about the Nats when, uh, when, when Gail and I met in DC and uh, I'm a big baseball fan too. Twins over here. And uh, it's a delight to read a baseball novel. First one in a while. I think the last one I read was, well, probably The Art of Fielding, probably going back that far to. And then oh, before wow. then, uh, Robert Coover had a had a great book about a, a lonely guy's fictional baseball league. I forget what it was called. I read it quite a long time ago. But, I mean, this fits well within that pantheon. I think it's going to be a, a wonderfully received book. And I'm happy to have a galley of it. Oh, my God. I'm going to have to get my hands on that. And happy to blurb something that you're enjoying. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. I, I enjoy most things I blurb and in, in, in one way or another. You know, usually I can concentrate on the part I like or, you know. But uh, but for the most part, you know, now that I have two books out in the world, the editors of the world have a pretty good idea of what I like and what I write and what my strong suits are. And so I tend to get more precisely oriented books to blurb. And I really appreciate that. There's a few editors in particular, like Allison Callahan, you know, Emily Bell, that like, oh, this is a J. Ryan Straddle book. He'll enjoy this. Like, whether or not he can blurb it, he'll like it, you know. And I really appreciate uh, knowing those editors and knowing that they're not going to just hit me up every time a debut author needs a blurb, that they're going to send me books that, you know, I'll genuinely enjoy. And they're, they're, and they're often extremely correct about that. <laughs> did you, um, I think we talked about this when I saw you, but did you ever end up reading Evie Drake? No, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. I've only been reading books I've been asked to blurb since I saw you. Okay. So, yeah. When you have a break, you might want that. I mean, that's not. That's right. It's sort of a baseball. Part of it, yeah. Baseball's part of it. It's it's it play. It's like halftime. Yeah. About this pitcher with the yips. Yeah. Um. I yeah. I I really like that book. So I think if you you know if you have a break between books, you have to blurb i <laughs> jay ryan is in the middle of an endless book tour which has taken him all over the country and i know does not afford you much time to do much else other than promote your own book which is his latest book the lager queen of minnesota probably you don't have a ton of spare time to spend on it but when you do and you're looking for something that you can really kind of just dive into i think um Abby drake starts over is a good pick Excellent. Uh, looking ahead to the questions that you ask every guest, that might be my 4E answer. If you had any $25 okay. right now. Excellent. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. I like it. That gets us to our 
topic of the day, we thought it might be fun to look at, talk about the books that we each read when we were young. Um, Nicole sort of suggests that it's the books that we enjoyed as readers. And of course, for Jay Ryan, there's probably a lot of books there that inspired him as a writer. And um, so why don't we go around? We can kind of take turns and just talk about some of our favorites. I know I have a few that were, this was a super easy topic for me to come up with answers because I, I have my go-tos that are still some of my favorites to this day. But I'd love to hear more about what you guys like to read when you were in your impressionable years. Mm. Well, Jay Ryan, well, my you want to take is, us off? Yeah. Yeah. My favorite book as a teenager was Double Enters by James Joyce. That one probably made the biggest impact on me was just his deft, insightful, and empathetic and humanistic treatment of struggling Dubliners. Um, and it certainly informed like my, you know, what I wanted my early fiction to be. I wasn't capable of, of writing <laughs> certainly anything near him and uh, not even anything near what I'm doing now uh, in terms of emotional heft. But I saw its potential in that book. I, I also enjoyed reading John Irving when I was a teenager. I read John Irving, Tim O'Brien. Um, uh, well said. I also really loved Jorge, Jorge Luis Borges, you know, for the imaginative aspects for showing me what was possible in fiction. But in terms of emotional impact, I really loved Dubliners and, uh, you know, spent just re uh, just reread my, my copy, you know, that I picked up in the early nineties at a, Mall uh, <laughs> B. Dalton, uh, if you remember that chain, mm -hmm. and uh, just dog-eared that copy of Dubliners. What Ooh, about so you dog-ear? Yeah, I I picked that up after my mom. Uh, my mom both dog-eared and underlined notes. And I margin. am for it. I like marginalia. Yeah, me too. You hear so much with people with books, and it's just like the physical object is sacred and it's mm. really, it's about the words and the interaction with it. So, you know, obviously I don't want to give a copy of my book and I get it back and it's dog-eared and underlined. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's mine, but I just don't, you know, I don't get the people are just like, Oh my God, you dog ear books. Mm -hmm. Well, those are some of my most cherished copies of books. Now being that my mom passed away 15 years ago are her copies of classics that are dog-eared and underlined and, written written up in the margins you know they're my museum pieces now not an immaculate first edition right and you get you get that kind of dialogue with her or her yeah exactly yeah i mean no one would want anything that i dog-eared in college because i feel like that was dog-eared or highlighted <laughs> or wrote anything because then you know that's when you think everything is important you're just like right, oh my right, god right. that sentence and then the oh next thing god, you know yeah, it's yeah. The, the whole page <laughs> The one before it and the one after it. What about yeah. younger books, like when you were a kid? Oh, yeah. Um, my first novels I, I ever read were novelizations of movies I enjoyed. And this is like when I'm like like third grade, second grade. Mm -hmm. um, I loved the novelization of The Dark Crystal by A.C.H. Smith, a, a British writer. And I thought, this is just, you know. Not only did it give me more insight of the story, but I thought it was great writing. I learned so many vocabulary words from reading that novelization. 
it really expanded <laughs> expanded my vocabulary and my and my love of language that that novelization it, it didn't feel like a phoned in novelization i'd be interested in reading it now to see like oh what <laughs> what i would think about it now maybe i would find it um you know turgid <laughs> i don't know or, yeah. or 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 like overly bellatristic for its you know for its purpose but you know he was clearly um a lover of words uh or is he's still alive and uh you know i've never read any of his other stuff i mean he had had a career like a fairly successful career as a novelist starting in the mid 60s and you know at a certain point like a lot of writers you know you're <laughs> you got you got to pay the lease you know you're putting food on the table so yeah i'll write a novelization of a jim henson film you know it's like yeah who knows <laughs> we we could all be there someday and uh of course i didn't know any of that at the time i enjoyed the film as a kid and uh you know, my parents gave, uh, gave me the novelization for a birthday present. I just devoured it. Now, there's a dog-eared book. Is is that? I don't know where it is. I think it's probably still at my dad's house. But uh, that novelization of Dark Crystal, and then eventually, because my mom's extensive book collection and her interest in reading, I started branching into literary fiction by late grade school. Reading like, oh, I don't know, maybe Animal Farm was an early one. I remember reading um, Of Mice and Men in sixth grade. You know, you know, shorter works of fiction that weren't as, um, uh, that weren't, that weren't as dense, you know, but were still, still, uh, uh, compelling pieces of writing. What about you guys? It's really funny because I, I know that I read this book in fifth grade and I know that I also must, I must have read a, oh gosh, why is the word escaping me? You know, when they make them shorter and the bridge version. Mm hmm. I must have because it's Alexander Dumas. I love the Count of Monte Cristo. Oh wow! Which, as I look at it, it's twelve hundred and seventy-six pages. I'm like, <laughs> really? When I was eleven, <laughs> I just, yeah, right. I remember it being a long book, but I feel like it was probably five hundred or six hundred pages. So mm. it must have been an abridged version. But I absolutely loved the Count of Monte Cristo. I love the richness of the story and. It's just about what's being done to him and how he's going to get revenge and the plotting. I think that when I think about what I used to read, I read a lot of, in my program in school, I read a lot of classics. Some classics I read too young and they just went right over my head. Like I right. didn't really get, because I, yeah. I feel like The Great Gatsby is one of those that you have to live and have <laughs> had some yeah. losses before you really kind of understand the motivation or the sadness that's inherent in that story. Right. The Count of Monte Cristo is just so, so much more visceral and just the have you world that, that I haven't reread. I was just thinking I'd love to reread this. And then I was looking at some of the comments on Goodreads and people are talking about, Oh my God, it's such a behemoth, but they're saying that it really goes quickly. So I don't know. I think sometimes, especially we read for, not that we read for a podcast. I think both Gail and I kind of, read what it is that we want to read, but it is this, it's a little bit sadder when you're an adult because I feel like you just <laughs> so strongly feel the limitations on your time. So you want to read like there. I'm feeling like I want to take deeper dives into books that I've read, or I feel like some things really deserve another read. But you know, when you look at the time you have and you want to get to something new, but I love this book so much. Mm. And I think it, it probably fueled my, I was, oh, I know what I was going to say. I was talking about classics, reading classics, mm -hmm. and how, 
you know, both both Gail and I, I think, enjoy a fair amount of d- domestic suspense. Like, I love mm. mysteries and murder mysteries. And, th- of course, this is, like, the ultimate revenge story and the plotting and the planning. And y- y- I think there's still that search for those those stories and the ones that are done really well. And, you know, you can read a lot of thrillers and, and suspense novels. And some of them are just kind of like, you know, they pass the time and they're fine. But sometimes mm-hmm. you do hit upon those that just blend such really lovely elements of 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 being insightful and have her, having deeper things to say, but at the same time just being thrilling. And I think The Count of Monte Cristo was that. Now, wow. when I was in fifth grade, I don't think I, you know, I would not have put it this way. It was just like it was just it was a good book. <laughs> <laughs> and you wanted to see how he how he was going to you know he spent all this time in jail and he's been wronged mm-hmm. and you know I, I think especially when you're young you, there's such a strong sense of justice and oh no kidding no kidding i had these conversations with my cousin and i'm just like you're totally right and i remember when i was just as passionate about this as you are and just as in, in, incensed and enraged and and I'm just like, but you know, you get older and you get busier and things just, you can't, you can't let them take as much from you as, as I could when I was 19. <laughs> <laughs> and it was part of my job to be dramatic. <laughs> right, right. Oh, that's funny. So Gail, what about you? Well, it's funny. I actually started, when I was preparing for this, I was picking books up from when I was even younger than that, like stuff I read probably in grade school. And I mean, it's funny what you said, Nicole, about books that you about rereading. I mean, these are books I must have read 20 times, and it never bothered me. I never felt like it was a waste of time to reread it. It was just such a pleasure to sort of like, it was like putting on an old comfortable sweater, like it felt Mm. so familiar, but I felt like I was learned something new from it. So those books are like, yeah, I mean, that was like Harriet the Spy. I mean, my copy of Harriet the Spy was like, you know, hmm. binding left on it. The glue was gone because I had read it so many times. It was so used to being left open. There was a book called The Westing Game by Ellen Raskin, and it's a very strange book. Did you guys ever read The Westing Game? I didn't. I've never heard of that. Oh my god! It it is. And people who who read The Westing Game are ki- as kids are super passionate about it. It's like it's kind of a mystery. It takes place in Milwaukee of all places. It's very. Um, it's about this sort of eccentric old man who gathers this group of people together and, and makes them pair up and solve a riddle so that they can get his inheritance of this man who was like a, a magnate who had all this money, but he died. It's it's like part mystery. It's part comedy. It's just it's a great book. I, I like I made my kids read it when they hit the right age. Like I just adore the Westing game. Um, um, <laughs> I read the all of a kind family series. Did you guys ever hear those? There's the there's a series of books. All of it. all of a kind. All of a kind family by Sidney Taylor that takes place in hmm. oh god the 30s, 20s or 30s on the Lower East Side. It's about a Jewish family and they have five daughters that are all two years apart. So you know when it, the book first book opens, it's like the oldest is 12, the youngest is four, and then and then there's multiple of them. There's more all of a kind family, all of a kind family uptown, all of a kind family downtown, because mm. the books were so popular. Um, I think I remember I, you I, mentioning I, this on a show that we did, oh, did I? probably when we were talking yeah. about influences. And I, yeah, 
Those sound good. Oh, I love that series. I have this like like daydream that I'm gonna adapt them, like modernize them, mm. and write Ooh. all the kind family, but set it today, so that that all the so I hit all those nostalgia moms like me who are like, oh, I loved those books, and then they'll want to buy them and read them to their kids, and then they'll then they'll you know catch on and become like a huge success. Um, so if anyone's listening, don't take that idea because I want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> that's mine right yeah that's 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 kids to college i guess i gotta get cracking because my daughters are sophomores now so i gotta (laughs) got some time's running out so i like to i really loved those and then you know when i got to high school or i guess middle school and high school i went to a school that like kind of like you really emphasize the classics and the the real traditional reading like jane eyre wuthering heights that's when i discovered pride and prejudice which is such a great book um, but I think when I think back on books that really had a big impact on me, one of them is To the Lighthouse by Virginia Woolf. And it was kind of a, a nice introduction to a very different type of narrative where you had, um, you know, her Virginia Woolf's writing is not always linear and it's not, uh, you know, it's sort of impressionistic in that like there's a lot of imagery in it and it, and the story there's big gaps and it feels a little fantastical at times. And that maybe was one of the first times I read something like that. And I, it, I was really taken with it. And to this day, like that sort of style is a type of writing that I really enjoy in my, you know, the adult fiction that I read now. So just looking back, that sticks out at me. Um, there's a book called the moonstone. Hmm. Wilkie Collins. Collins. Yeah, it was a a mystery that I read. I'm going to guess like eighth, ninth grade. I don't even remember. And that I couldn't even really tell you now what the plot was. I think it was about a gem that went missing. And then it was this, you know, solving the mystery of that. But it was also just extremely well told. I remember that really caught my imagination, too. Oh, I want to read that because I've always wanted to read that. It's it's longish. It's no... It's no Count of Monte Cristo. Two hundred <laughs> pages, right. but I think it's a good, you know, it's a it's a doorstop. But yeah, now that you've talked about it like that, now I want to read that one. Yeah, I mean, it, maybe we could read that together because I I wouldn't mind rereading that. It's been so long since I read. I just remember very much that I liked it. Um, but I would maybe we can think about that for a upcoming book club or something. Um, Jay Ryan, when you're writing, do you ever? consult books you've read because you sort of want to like refresh yourself or get some inspiration on a particular way to, you know, way to approach a particular scene. Like, does that ever, did you sort of like find yourself going back to your library and pulling things off the shelf if you're stuck? Very often. Yeah. 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 This is a usual thing for me. I mean, I, I, when I get stuck, I don't get stuck for very long, but there are, I have more interesting ways of getting stuck now than I did when I was younger. <laughs> um, because before, like when I was a kid growing up or in my 20s, early 30s, I would get stuck by just being feeling like I was out of ideas or not knowing how to proceed. Mm. And now the main reason I feel stuck when I get stuck is that I'm losing the emotional center of this character or this story. Like I'm, I'm drifting. Like the, like the, the oars aren't in the water anymore. Mm-hmm. And two authors I go to often to recenter myself emotionally are Alice Monroe and Dennis Johnson. 
Um, I really love their short fiction. Um, and I feel they're both very humanistic writers and both of them have very deft and kind, but, but fair and honest ways of approaching their characters and each do so in ways I find really beautiful and interesting and useful to me. So whenever I feel like, oh man, I don't really have a sense of this character right now or what he or she wants, I'll read a story like Work by Dennis Johnson or How I Met My Husband by Alice Munro, and that'll that'll reorient me. How does it how how does reading a story like that help you when it's not obviously the you know the it's not applicable to your particular plot? Is it just right. like it it makes you sort of think get in your character's head a little more? Well, both of those stories are extremely effective short stories on a number of levels. Like they're, I consider them very successful stories, like nearly flawless or yeah, basically flawless. I mean, whatever flaws you would perceive would be subjective in my opinion. <laughs> I look at them as, you know, a kind of a master class. I'll sit down with that story, either of those stories or other stories by either of those people and think about them in terms of how does this work? How is she pulling it off? How is he pulling it off? What's what's the synthesis here? And it's that sense or my perception of that synthesis that gets recalibrated and mm-hmm. applied to my own work. You know, I I because you're right, like neither Dennis Johnson's work or Alice Monroe's How I Met My Husband have topics or characters that are similar to characters I've ever written about. You know, but that's not the point. My point isn't to like steal lines from them or, <laughs> right, yeah, right. it's, it's, it's to, um, look at them as, uh, examples of, of how to do it right in mm-hmm. a sense, especially when it comes to the emotional part of the craft. Because I feel when I'm at my best as a writer is when my heart is at its most open. And there are times where I feel mm-hmm. like, oh, this was a very open hearted writing day. I came from a place of great love and generosity today. And that doesn't always Mm -hmm. mean that what the characters are doing that day is loving or generous. It just means that I have a tremendous amount of empathy for them (laughs) and in their setting and their perceptions of their setting. And I feel most dilated to that. And I feel both Dennis and Alice are and have been um, very, uh, very good examples of how, how to do that in fiction. I always think that's what makes a novel so successful when you create characters where, where, like you say, you do feel, I don't think that you can tell anyone's story. I don't think it's a very interesting story when you tell someone and they are the villain and you can tell that (laughs) they're meant to be written that way or it's just kind of flat. You know, if they're, is a character. I I just think with characters, it should be like with any human being, you know, not everyone, even the people that hold the strings to your heart or people that you like all the time, or they don't have habits that you totally enjoy all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it has, there has to be that balance when we think of people we don't like or whatever, it's easy to just dismiss that, but that makes them lesser. So to talk about having compassion and, and to hold your characters that way. I think that's really interesting to talk about holding yeah. that space for them, even when they're not doing great things on your page. 
Alice and Dennis are very good at that because it's not very often that their protagonists of their short fiction are the heroes of their own story. You know, they they very purposely write flawed people whose values and perceptions influence their decisions. And that's that's everybody, you know, but putting their characters in the situations they do to draw them out, to draw them into conflict, to have the conflict test them, you know, they do it in such an organic way, in a way that feels just effortless. And I aspire to that too, of, you know, as much as I like plot, I think I write plot more than a lot of <laughs> literary fiction authors. Uh, I don't want the plot to feel structural. I don't want the reader to, to get a sense of, oh, I knew this would happen, or I can tell what's happening, or I can tell what's going to happen. I, I, I want the, I still want the plot to proceed organically from, from the character and the situations that she finds herself in. I think one thing that is a common thread through your books is this tremendous empathy that shows through for the characters. So clearly you're successful at that when it's something you may feel like you're working at it, but it shows through really well. And I mean, I've read many, many reviews of both of your novels and that theme comes up all the time that, you know, you're very. Yeah. I feel, well, well I, 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 Oh yeah. Thank you. I feel, yeah, very lucky to be perceived that way. It's certainly because it's certainly what I try to do, you know, mm -hmm. and you never know if, Oh, people are going to get it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you write your books alone in a room and it just feels like <laughs> feels like you're a goldfish in a bowl, just swimming around, wondering if this little plastic castle in here is as big as you think it is. <laughs> no, I mean, just looking back on kitchens, like there's so many characters there that you read them and you're like, you can really understand the challenges they have faced in their life. And they're flawed people. Mm. There's no question oh, about yeah. that. None of these are perfect people. But like, you know, without you saying like, now is time to feel sorry for this person. You it you do it in a subtle way because you're painting it through, you know, their backstory and their dialogue and whatever. But it it I think that the end effect is you you really do f feel for them and you root for them. And um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of books where I can't say that's the case. And maybe mm. the author doesn't want that to be the case. You know, they're either creating a villain or they're not as invested in one particular character, so they don't really care what the reader thinks about them so much but certainly th consistently throughout yours i think that's a theme that comes up and that's you know that's an effect on the reader that i certainly felt oh thank you those layers when you layer that motivation it, it's and you're doing it really well i think it's hard to think of any villain as just because when i think mm -hmm. about when you think about hamilton the musical that Lin-Manuel wrote and you know it's told from the point of view of Aaron Burr and I've talked to so many people and it's such a I feel like it's so sympathetic to Burr and people mm. come you know come away feeling so differently for him when he was he was pretty horrible <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. but that one line Nicole in the opening I'm the damn fool who shot him mm -hmm. spoken by Aaron Burr um, it sort of sets it up that you see this is a man with a lot of regret. And I think that makes him a much more sympathetic character. Yeah. Just, just, just off the, you know, just from the opening scene. Well, exactly. But he was, he was not given those moments before. I mean, that's to mm -hmm. one of the points, you know, like, who, right. Who's writing your story? Who's telling your story? What are they saying about you? Right. Right. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, giving some voice to someone who has been relegated to a one line, oh, he shot Alexander Hamilton in a duel. You know, there's a lot more to that story. Yeah, and it's an interesting framework. It's like the film Amadeus, you know, kind of being told mm. from Salieri's. Salieri. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Gail, did you have one more book? Can we each set up one uh, more book that you think sure. was really... All right, I'm going to pick a book that is nonfiction. It is, and I'm going to get this. Is it Working by Studs Terkel? That's what it's called, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, work? Is it, or is it work? Working. Or work or working? I'm not you know sure. What? I'll look oh, it up right working. now. Yeah. yeah. So this is a book about, they're made up of interviews, working, with people, people yep. talk about what they do all day by Studs Terkel. And I'm going to pair it with a book that came out many years later called Gig, which was sort of an update to Studs Terkel. And let's see. I'm going to see who wrote Gig. John Bow and Marissa Bow. And that came out in 2001, whereas uh, the original working, God, it must have come out. First published 1974. 74. Okay. So 25 years later came Gig. So they're both... um, interviews with people who have jobs that you may not think about all the time. So, you know, construction workers or this grave diggers or actors, you know, there it's like a huge range of people and gig does the same thing just later. And I love these books because they just give you a glimpse into someone else's life and they sort of just, give you empathy. I think they do teach you empathy because you sort of learn about other people's jobs and the challenges they may face or a job that sounds to you to be something you wouldn't want to do. You get to understand what do they like about it? What do they not like about it? And just, I think it just shines a light on a lot of sort of invisible pockets of the economy, invisible pockets of society. Um, And it's not done necessarily the way that like made or nickel and dime did it where I think that was more like trying to awaken a conscience. This is more like satisfying curiosity. It's more positive, Hmm. but um, I just, I don't know. I really like those books. I don't think that I've ever talked about them on the show before. So I'm just kind of going in a new direction, but they, this type of book is something I really enjoy. And I think back often on just little snippets that I picked up from both of those. Well, that's really cool. And thanks for introducing me to John Bow. I'd heard about Gig. I didn't know he was from Minnesota and graduated from the University of Minnesota. I looked him up and oh. I thought, oh, wow, he's written other similar books, you know, that uh, are structured around a similar framework. There was a book he'd written called Nobody's that looks very interesting, too. Oh, good. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, I also love this kind of book. I mean, one of my favorite nonfiction books the last 15 years was Poor People by William T. Volman, which is also, a, you know, kind of similar. It's a, it's a global story, but it's also mm-hmm. a very personal one. And he, he does something kind of in between, <laughs> you know, the two examples. I mean, uh, because he uh, goes into these places personally. And I think, you know, does in a sense like, like, uh, like, like Stephanie Land, uh, for example, uh, attempts to uh, awaken a conscience, but, you know, he's just describing what he's seeing. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, I need to read more nonfiction. It's been a while. Uh, once uh, Kitchens came out, it's been pretty much all all fiction all the time. The only the only exception was um, Matthew Desmond's book. Uh, he's a writer from Wisconsin. 
Um, Does he write he write this, Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 He and I were at a, a literary festival at the same time, and I got his book there, and it was it was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> what's yeah. What's the title of the book? But that was the, literally the last Evicted. nonfiction book I read, and that oh, okay. yeah, that was about three years ago now. Yeah. yeah. Evicted. Yeah. Desmond. Yeah, I think you would like the the pairing of working in gig. You know, one thing I noted when I wrote a review of Logger Queen is that, you know, you write about pe- jobs and people that don't get a lot of visibility sometimes, like, you know, people who work at, like, nursing homes or mm-hmm. at diners and things like that. And so, you know, that those, those characters are not always kind of investigated with a lot of um, – detail and humanity, I think, in a lot of modern fiction. Yeah, well, I think it's become increasingly hard for people to write modern fiction as a living. So a lot of the people that do perhaps come from more affluent backgrounds. And maybe they don't have as much direct exposure to these lives. It's not that they aren't interested in them. You know, it's just that, you know, I come from a family of truck drivers and nurses and farmers. I mean, I've, I have people in my family that work multiple low-wage jobs just to try to make a living and and yeah and I, I yeah yeah and I and I see these people and I feel you know these people also they're not just family members but they're friends and I love them and they love me and they've supported my writing you know um, and I feel not just an obligation to write about them but a great urge to because I just don't see them represented in fiction very often or or being made as central characters in a narrative very often. Um, so yeah, I, I, I do my best. I mean, I, I certainly hadn't read much fiction that had a primary nursing home setting. And my grandmother was a dietary aide at a nursing home for 17 years. And I'd visit her there uh, oh, several times a year. Uh, starting when I was a small child and became friends with some of the residents that she'd befriended, some of the residents that never had visitors that were just abandoned there by their families, quite literally. And Doris, uh, my grandmother, discerned who these people were and um, invited my brother and I to visit them and be their visitors. And we we did that for many years. Um, And that, yeah, I mean, that's an irreplaceable experience. Of course, when you're a little kid, you know, you, you see it in an entirely different way. I thought like, oh, this is sort of like another grandma and she gives me candy and we talk and we watch Jeopardy and, you know, you're very station to station. It's just one more like, you know, pleasant experience. But then as you get older, even by my late teens, I started really seeing the emotional depth to this and and um, the role that we had in each other's lives in terms of opening each other up and and uh, doing something for each other. And I, I think about that and I thought about it all through writing, all through writing Locker Queen. All right. Do you guys each have another book you want to add? Well, Gail, to your point, when you were talking about, you picked books when you were much younger and talking about the books that you're reintroducing to your girls. I really loved, and it came out in 1942. So it was not when I was a little girl, the boxcar children by, Gertrude Chandler Warner. And that was another adventure story. It was about these four children who um, they, I think their parents have died and they want to stay together. So they find an abandoned boxcar and they basically 
start raising themselves, you know, like they cook meals over a fire and, you know, they go shopping at some secondhand store and they find things to furnish their boxcar. Of course, it ends with like some billionaire grandfather (laughs) finding them and (laughs) bringing him, bringing them home to live with him. Um, but there's like a there's a billion books in this, but I love the boxcar children. <laughs> and oh then yeah, yeah, that's great. I Nicole, made, you'll be... I made right. like you know my little cousins read them too when they got to be of a certain age, or if, or if they seemed like they were not liking to read, it was like, well, you, yes, you're going to love to read, and you're going to read the boxcar children because it's. I feel like it's so interesting, you know, and such a. Um. I don't know. It's like a gateway drug for me. I mean, how can you not read about children who are like, who set up their own house, household in this boxcar? <laughs> You'll be happy to know when Nate just started at a new school in a new classroom and he had to bring in a box with five things inside the box that were important to him or reflected who he was. So in addition to the little mini Nats helmet and the baseball that he brought in, he brought in the boxcar children because he loves oh, it. You yeah. See? Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. timeless. 1942. Yeah. yeah. We have a lot of them on our shelf and my husband, you know, loves to read with Nate and, and that was one of the ones that they had read together. And like when, when Dan was like, why don't you bring a book? He, that was the one he picked because he loved it so much. It's really Someone good. Someone reread it on Goodreads and they gave it three stars and they said how much they loved it hmm. when they were little. It's just like you can't go back and reread it and give it three stars. I know. So they I say know. the children are saccharine. They don't fight. You know, it romanticizes homelessness. <laughs> like, Come on. Oh, my God. Come on. Yeah. The Grinch. Yeah, yeah, that's sad. That's sad. All right, Jay Ryan, what about you? One more? Uh, I really like Bridge to Terabithia. Oh, so good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, by Catherine oh. Patterson. Yeah, that was... That so and uh, Talk Everlasting by Natalie yeah. Babbitt. Those were two books I liked as a kid that dealt with mortality, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which which as soon as I became aware of, you know, I was obsessed with. <laughs> yeah, every like time, a lot. Of, um, yeah. My, every time the Bridget Terabithia comes up, my mom reminds me that I wrote a letter to Catherine Patterson. <laughs> I, was, ah! I, guess, I guess this will not surprise you as I have like Jay Ryan on a podcast with me right now, but like <laughs> that I wrote her this letter and told her how much I love that book. And I, that my mom's like, she, 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 you were like obsessed with that book for so long. It's oh so sad. It's so sad. I also, I, I, I wrote a letter to an author too when I was in grade school. Uh, the author was named he- Helen R. Sattler and she'd written a nonfiction book called The Dinosaurs of North America. So I was oh, a bit, so cute. I was a big dinosaur boy. This was like in second grade or something. And, uh, she wrote me back. She sent me back a typed letter. Yeah. From her home in Montana. Yeah. That's really sweet. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's jump into some speed round questions for Jay Ryan here. Mm. Um, and some of them we've already covered, but the first, well, the first one is what are you reading now? And so we know that it's yeah. Cactus League, which I'm like really envious that you're reading because now I really want to read it. And I'm going to try to get my hands on it because I looked it up while you were talking and it looks amazing. Um, okay. So tell us, uh, Nicole and I have, have trademarked a term here on the Readerly Report, mm. which is when you've read all of the books that an author has written, you are a completist of that mm. author. Mm-hmm. So is there an author for whom you are a completist? Wow. I think there's a couple. I've read everything Amelia Gray has written. 
She's an author, a contemporary author. She's younger than me, most recently on FSG, but started on smaller presses like Featherproof. Um, I've read everything Ben Catcher has written. He's a graphic novelist, comic strip writer, but writes long form narratives. Um, yeah, those are the first two that come to mind. I think I've read everything Rob Roberge has written. He was a writing instructor of mine at UCLA. That's how I met him, but also a fiction writer. Uh, writes a lot of work within the realm of um, music in particular. His characters are, you know, he often has musician characters or, you know, can write, write within that realm. But his most recent book was called Liar, and it was about his struggles with addiction and um, and also apprehends the, the memory loss and gaps in memory that um, certain, uh, what's the word? Um, <laughs> lack of restraint with certain chemicals and drugs can induce. Uh, and so the book is written out of order and written in a very subjective fashion that I think was challenging for some readers, but I really loved it. And I saw a lot of resonance in it, uh, you know, within the, both the framework and the subject matter. But yeah, yeah, I'd say those three are the first three that come to mind. There may be more, but I know I've read everything by Amelia Gray, Rob Roberge, and Ben Catcher. Okay. I want to read Amelia Gray. She wrote Isadora. Yeah, yeah. I want to read recent. that book. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Oh, a little aside, I just want to point out that both of you have recommended the same book to me. Oh, Meg Hari, The Wanderers? Oh, that's a great book. Love that book. Yeah, that, that book is really, that. really underrated. Yeah. Yeah, you both have mentioned that to me. And it's one of those both things. been telling me for a long time to read it. She has an aversion to space. <laughs> <laughs> well, it came out shortly after The Martian, and it's not like The Martian at all. And so a lot of, I think, the publicist comps and stuff like that were like, it's like The Martian, but like, no, it's not like The Martian. It's a story about people. <clears throat> it's a terrible comp. And so people who picked it up who read, read The Martian, like went on Goodreads and were like, one star, it's not like The Martian. You know, and so it just... Oh, that sucks. Yeah, really suck because it's, yeah, it's not even really about. And how is yeah. he going to survive this thing? The Wanderers yeah. is just more thoughtful about, you know, these astronauts who are preparing to go on a mission. And it's, it's you know, it's about how they deal with being away from their families, their relationships. Yeah. It's just totally different. Completely different. It's like the opposite, you know, and it it's a story about people and relationships that happens to be set in a space milieu. Like, yeah. Whereas The Martian, it's all about. Mars. It's all about the ch challenges of, of surviving on Mars and where this book is about the challenges of surviving without the people you love. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. What is a book that everyone other than you has read? <laughs> wow. The standard I answer to this question <laughs> we'll let you know among our guests is. Oh, wow. Okay. Now I have read those. It's been a while, but, um, for me, the first book that comes to mind is The Incendiaries by Rachel Kushner. I've never read it, but it got such mixed reviews among my friends who read that I was like, I'll put that, I'll put that aside. You know, I'll get around to it maybe. Wait. Right? Is that Am I saying that right? Oh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, not the Aroquan. The Flamethrowers. Oh, my God. What a terrible. Okay. Yeah, what a terrible conflation. I haven't read well, Incendiaries. fire. <laughs> fire, right, exactly, boy. I clearly I need more coffee. Yeah, I haven't read The Incendiaries, and I've heard good things about The Incendiaries. Flamethrowers is what I was talking about, I'm sorry, by Rachel Kushner. Where I had some friends who really loved it, some friends who hated it, 
some friends who couldn't finish it, who didn't finish it, were like, what? I don't get it. Why is this book getting all these awards? It was one of those like deeply divisive books among my reader friends. And I just thought, well, you know, I'm really busy right now anyway. I'll get around to it. And I never have. But just about everyone I know has read it. And uh, Yeah, yeah I feel like I got really mi- mixed um, oh, sorry, mixed comments on that as well and did not yeah. read it. Whereas, yeah, whereas, like, yeah, mostly heard good things about the incendiaries. I don't, oh, my, my God, what a terrible error. I don't mean to, con, you know, uh, confuse them because incendiaries, it's a very different um, uh, ad- attitude towards that book among my reader friends. Yeah, who, who like, like I said, the ones who've read it really, really enjoyed it. Okay, okay what, what is, is a book, book that everyone other than, than you liked, liked but, but you, you did, did not? not? Oh, I did not like, but everyone else liked? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Let me think. <laughs> <laughs> I like almost everything. That's a really tough question. I find like something to like in everything. But what's a book that that I didn't like that everyone else liked? Oh my god! Did someone else want to ask? Oh no! You uh, no. This this question is for your guest. So and I and I read these questions in advance. Of course, you know you sent them out in advance, <laughs> and I still thought I'm going to put that one aside because I don't. <laughs> I don't really I mean, if there's no an- if there's no answer for it, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, Nicole and I, we never have a problem answering this one, but we've answered. We've. I feel like everyone knows those. Everyone knows that we don't like Little B by Chris. Cleave. Little B. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is there, well, well, this might shock my memory. Is there a book that's come out in the last year or so? If it's been a while since you've answered this question, is there a recent book that fits this category? Oh. Um. Um, well, mine is three women. I just, read oh, three women. everyone okay. loves it. And I'm just, I mean, I see the value in it. I think it's a great discussion book. I don't think it's necessarily bad. The experience that I had reading it was not what I expected. I'm not quite sure what all the attention is about. Hmm. Um, I usually say I did not like, uh, little fires everywhere. Oh, Right. Yeah, I just didn't didn't do it for me. Neither of her, but you read both books, right? Mm-hmm. But particularly that one because it was so it was so well received and people loved it. I just yeah, I didn't like that one so much. Um, well, that's okay. We don't have you don't have to answer that one. We'll just take a pass. You know what? You know what? I I I I do have an answer now. I Eileen uh, by Otessa Moshfeg. Most of my friends really enjoyed the writing, at least. And I, I couldn't finish it. I thought it was just oppressively grim. I, I did enjoy it on a sense level, though. I think she's a wonderful uh, craftsperson. A, a gr- a, I really did not like her latest one, My Year of oh, Relaxation. Yeah, yeah. My friends are a lot more divided about that one. Uh, I, I love I, the writing. And I, I'm really, she has a new book coming out that I'm really looking yeah. at. The, um, yeah, what's it called? The I description just was reading about it. is so intriguing. I'm like, oh, this sounds like I would really like this, but I don't know. I'm, I think yeah. Catherine from Gilmore Guide to Books had told me because I had mentioned maybe I would like Eileen more, and she was basically like, no, you won't. And now this <laughs> new one, <laughs> this new one sounds interesting. So I think I will read the latest one. I cannot think of the name of it. Yeah, I can't think of the name of it either. But yeah, I know that I know she's got one coming out soon. But yeah, I like uh, her writing and I get what the writing is about, but I just don't enjoy the book. Yeah, that was my experience with it was this is unpleasant. You know, maybe it's supposed to be unpleasant or maybe it's supposed to make readers like me unpleasant, but but not in a fun way or a provocative way. You know, it's like 
It's like it's like, for example, reading a reading a book like Native Son is meant to make you uncomfortable, but I I enjoy that. Like that's very different in in right. some way. Yeah. But 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 this book felt like oh, it, you know, kind of visceral and kind of disgusting at points. And I just thought, really, like who's this for? I uh, I also felt like in the era we're living in right now. I don't necessarily want to experience unpleasantness electively if it feels like it's unpleasantness for its own sake or if it's just plumbing the the depths of human unpleasantness, you know, as a literary exercise. I thought, you know, <laughs> not that I want to read a book of sunshine and rainbows, but some element of hope or humanity or empathy is, I don't know, very essential to my day-to-day life at this point <laughs> of just wanting to feel, of just wanting to feel better about humans and the human condition. You know, when I look out the world going, you know what? Like, do not despair. I feel like I keep wanting to tell myself every day, do not despair in spite of the news, in spite of what you perceive and understand about the world. And uh, books like that just sort of make me despair. And maybe, you know, like I said, maybe they're supposed to, but I just found it kind of unpleasant for its own sake and not in the, not in the, what's the word? Uh, not in the service of a greater um, purpose for humanity. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't want to go off on too, too long of a tangent there. It, it just wasn't for me. And I'm sure my books aren't for her either. I'm sure she picks up, to, if she ever has, like, I, I could imagine being completely disgusted by both of my books and feeling like, oh my God, this just runs completely contrary to my point of view on humanity. And I'm sure it does. <laughs> I'm sure she would find nothing redeemable about Log or Queen of Minnesota, you know? Just like, you know, these people, I don't identify with these people, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I'd say that's a hundred percent likely, <laughs> but, but, but that said, I mean, I write those characters because I want to believe in people and I want to believe that, uh, people at their best are still capable of, of kindness and love and generosity and improving the world through those, uh, emotions and the tools that emerge from them. All right, last question, and I think you <laughs> answered it at the top of the show, but and maybe Nicole, you and I can each answer this because we haven't answered this in a long time. Which is, if I gave you twenty five bucks and sent you into a bookstore today, um, aside from a cup of coffee, which I'm sure you need every time you walk into a bookstore, doesn't over, hurt over the yeah. next month. Um, what would you buy? Well, I think I'm going to stick with Evie Drake. Uh, I mentioned yeah. that earlier, and uh, that book's kind of been staring at me every time I walk into a bookstore, yep, or an airport bookstore, or. Heck, even yeah. friends' homes, you know, see it on the coffee table. I'll go like, oh, dang, you're reading that. Or or my Instagram feed, like a lot of the book bloggers I follow, they've read it, most of them. That's been yeah. a very popular book club book this summer. And I keep seeing it pop up in my Instagram feed, and I go, oh, my God, I got to yeah. read that. Yeah, That and Fleischman, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I haven't read that one yet. In fact, um, I haven't read any of those books yet. Yeah. <laughs> but well, uh, but I, I have a number of friends who've read uh, Fleischman, and they – and that book seems pretty universally uh, loved among my reader friends. Yeah. Yeah. We just talked about on the show. I have an update for you guys. The Mm. book is called death in her hands. Okay. Oh, Oh, okay, cool. Is it a novel or a collection? It's a novel. It says from one of our most ceaselessly provocative literary talents, a novel of haunting metaphysical suspense about an elderly widow whose life is upturned when she finds a cryptic note, on a walk in the woods that ultimately makes her question everything about her new home. Mm. So that sounds so good. Like yeah. her book sounds so good. 
feel like from what you said about her first book and what I think about her second book, that she is always, the target with her is always moving, I think. And she's writing mm. in different ways. Yeah, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I might like her work more as we both get older. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the fun things about being an author is feeling like you evolve as a writer and your target moves and you feel like, well, okay, there's, there, there might be kind of comfort zone subject matter, but there's also a imperative to challenge that or challenge your approach to it. And I'm certainly trying to do that with my third book. And, and she's evidently doing that too, you know, and so... Yeah, it'll be fun to see how she evolves because she's a very prolific writer. And I'm sure by the time she's 50, you know, there will be quite a variety of work attributed to her that, you know, will, you know, that that any reader would look at and say, well, you know, I, I like this book, you know, <laughs> yeah, of 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 her arc as a as an artist. And uh, yeah. And yeah, may, maybe the book of hers that um, I'll, I'll like the most just doesn't exist yet, or it may be this one, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I always remain optimistic. There are pretty much no writers that I ever like will write off. I mean, I mean, certain books I feel like, Oh, that book isn't for me. And I know why, but, or it isn't for me at this time in history or at this time in my emotional life, but hell, I could pick up one of her books in 20 years and maybe go, Oh, I really enjoy this now. You know, I see it for what it is in a way that I didn't when I was young. So Gail, what would you buy? I, I beat would, you to it. You're going to ask me, weren't you? I was going to ask you, yeah. Um, I would buy The Dutch House because I really want to read that. And... Oh, that I don't know anything about. Tell me about oh, it. Oh, it's the new Ann Patchett. Oh, dang. How did I miss that? Yeah. Man, well, I love Ann Patchett. You've been busy. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah Is it she out? Has, I think maybe it comes out on Tuesday. So like two days from now. Um, actually, just I don't oh, know okay. when the show is going to air. It comes out the last week of <laughs> September. Yeah, September 24th okay. or something like that. Oh, cool. Maybe but that I've, then. Maybe that's my $25 book. Yeah. yeah. So sorry, Linda Holmes. Um, oh. So <laughs> uh, it, I don't know. I, every, like, I keep reading about it on various book blogs or listening to it on book podcasts. And everyone seems to really like it. And I, it's like about a step-parent situation and then the house and siblings. Just, I don't know. sounds good. So um, that is, that would probably be what I would pick up. Nicole, how about you? Okay. So even though a couple of shows ago, I was complaining at my weariness of the white woman book cover, (laughs) (laughs) white women on book covers, you know, like with eyes closed or looking over their shoulder or holding the hands of children. I really do want to read My Dark Vanessa by Kate Elizabeth Russell. It's coming out next year, early next year, and it's about the dynamics, it says, of a relationship between a precocious yet naive teenage girl and her magnetic and manipulative teacher. And I guess she has a relationship with this teacher. He's 42. She's 15. Um and they become involved in some kind of relationship. Why is it always an English teacher? I feel like that's getting a little, <laughs> to be a little bit of a trope. That it's just right it's you English know. professors. Yeah. And- <laughs> that's funny. Oh, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, it, it happened in 2000. It says, in 2017, this teacher is accused of sexual misconduct by another student. And they go back and they find Vanessa. And they're as- they are asking her to come forward and tell her story. So it's all about this choice that she has to make and I guess how she views their relationship and, and what she's going to do. So I'm really looking forward to reading it. 
young white girl on the cover with like a butterfly covering one of her eyes. So did I not get you a copy of that at book expo? I apologize I for that. That was one did. of the buzz panel books. Um, the buzz panel that I left in the middle of to go meet Jay Ryan Straddle, who was signing <laughs> book up, books upstairs. And then I like raced back downstairs. I was like, save my seat. Don't let anyone take my seat. Um, I can, would be happy to send that to you if you'll send it back to me when you're done. I will. Oh, okay. thanks. Yeah, sure. I'll send it to you. Uh, what's interesting about that book is I, apparently the woman who wrote it um, has had that book, has been writing that book for like 15 years. And it seems, you know, looking now, it looks like opportunistic that it was released now during Me Too and like what good marketing. But it, she, when she wrote it, Me Too, it was hadn't happened yet. So, um, and as I pointed out before, these stories have been happening. It's not like Me Too happened right. and they just started happening and people started writing about it. I think that these were always stories that women were working through in fiction and nonfiction. And it's, it's, this is not a new story, people. Thank you, Jay Ryan, so much for coming on the show. It was great to talk to you. You're welcome. I just finished, yeah. I think I talked about this on the show. I just finished the memoir by John Taylor about his years in Duran Duran. And ah. he was talking about how um, when they were on tour and especially when he was doing tons of drugs and, you know, partying on all the time, he said every morning, you know, that someone would slip a piece of paper under his door and it would say, today is Thursday. Today is a show day. You are in New York city. You know, you need to be at sound check at three o'clock. So I'm imagining you're on tour and mm -hmm. people are sliding something under your door saying, today is, <laughs> today is Friday. You are yes. in Milwaukee. You have yeah. a reading. But yeah. Just helping yeah. you to orient. Yeah. Hopefully you're not yeah. as impaired as he was. No. He woke up. No. Despite all the beer I've been <laughs> offered on tour, I, I, I've maintained a pretty clear head. However, with the amount of events I have, sometimes they do get confused a little yeah, yeah. but it's not no, quite sure. that bad it's not that yeah. bad yet yeah yeah it's funny that's awesome all right well thank you so much for coming on the show it's great to talk to you and uh we'll be we'll be following along and seeing your adventures for the rest of the year oh what a pleasure uh great to meet you nicole yes thank you thank you for coming on being so patient with our schedules sometimes it's hard to juggle me you gail and then another person but this was yeah, been yeah. so much fun to talk about to one of Gail's literary heroes and to oh, just talk about childhood books. That's fun. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So until, until next, next time, time, happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the readerly report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, readerly report readers, where you can talk to other listeners about the reading life. You can also find Nicole at NicoleBonia.com and me, Gail, at EverydayIWriteTheBookBlog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks.